Hi, everyone. Welcome to Scouting for Growth. Today, I am thrilled to welcome Steve Abel from EPAM. Steve is a dedicated and result-oriented executive with proven and done track record and superior ability to build high-performing teams and delivering success with all levels of an organization. Steve works for HIPAM, as mentioned, and for me, HIPAM is a little bit of one of the best-kept secrets. Voted one of the leading and fastest-growing information technology companies in the world. Some of the accolades include Forbes Global 2000 Company, one of the most voted workplaces of 2021 and 2022, top 15 information technology service company listed in the Fortune 1000. IPAM today leads the charge in the field of global digital and physical transformation and also digital platform engineering. The company has over 61,000 employees across six continents and 50 countries. Steve and I will be covering three main topics. Changes in the way innovation is delivered today, repairing broken processes with the right engineering mindset, requirements for building the business of tomorrow. So let's jump in. Hi, Steve. Welcome. Hi, Sabine. Thanks for having me. Um, the pleasure is mine. So, Steve, you know, I always start the podcast with getting to know you a little bit. So tell us about you, who you are, what you do, and how you do change our world with innovation. I'm a executive in insurance and I've been uh, doing what I do for about 30 years. I started out as a uh, finance transformation executive and have transitioned to digital transformation. And it was interesting. I'd been at the big four for almost a decade. And um, at uh, one of the big four companies, I was managing our uh, digital community for insurance. And COVID hit. And the funniest thing happened. I asked a friend of mine, are we, re are we thinking about technology in the right way? And is there a way to do this better with data and technology to solve our clients' problems? And I've got to tell you, I've been installing finance and actuarial software for a long time. And it's always struck me that it doesn't work very well. And I'll get into that in a minute, but we, we challenged ourselves. We said for a narrow use case, can we build this capability to handle? And, and in this case, it was accounting change mm -hmm. in a new way. And the answer was yes. And it was also surprisingly e easy to prototype something. And uh, we found our first client and uh, there's a global CFO of a very large reinsurance company who told us that he really didn't like any of the commercially available software for this type of accounting change. And we went back and forth and we, I think we reviewed like 12 different packages and he said he didn't like any of them. And uh, he asked me, is there anything else that I could do? Because I, I just don't like this. It's expensive. It doesn't fit my needs. It's hard to use. It's going to um, take a long time to implement. And I said, well, we prototype this thing. I'm not sure if you'd 
be interested in it. We haven't deployed it anywhere. And it turns out he was. And we were able to do the first implementation front to back in about three months. And normally, these things take a year or longer to implement. And the backlog, meaning the number of things we couldn't implement, was near zero. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the interesting part of the story. Then this organization asked the question, can we use this tooling for dot, 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 to do solvency to reporting, to do other kinds of reporting, to solve exotic actuarial calculations? And the answer was always yes. And it was, we were able to teach the client to use this tooling uh, to solve many, many problems. And it isn't bespoke software. We created these reusable assets that could be stitched together like Legos to solve a whole bunch of different problems. And so uh, my last year um, at that big four, I had a lot of fun working with clients, giving this idea away, because there's nothing proprietary about this idea. It's just good engineering. Yeah, that's fascinating. And um, you are saying that it was during the first year of COVID? It was, and this is where this started. And and it was primarily because we panicked. We were like, is, 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 is the world ending? Is our entire business model done? Um, what can we do to innovate in the space? And it really spurred us to think about these point solutions, these these very targeted solutions that we could help um, our clients with accounting change. Mm-hmm. And then I ran across this largest uh, engineering firm that no one's ever heard of, or at least I hadn't, uh, 60,000 plus people, 50 countries, full of some of the best engineers on the planet that build industrial-sized tools and platforms. And um, uh, they reached out to me, and I uh, told them some of our ideas. And we, um, I asked the question, can we think about this more expansively, not just solving one problem? Can we work with our problems to solve, our, our clients to solve all these different types of problems? Yeah. And they said, yes. And um, now I work for EPAM as managing director in the insurance space, and we work with insurtechs and large carriers in an expansive way to solve the problems of finance. And this is the point I want to make about technology. If the finance or actuarial platforms that you work with work so well, why do you still have so many spreadsheets and people? And... Our thesis is if we can get the technology to work in targeted ways, you won't need to spend so much time with spreadsheets and people. I've been in and around insurance for a very long time. Uh, People build spreadsheets because they have to. They they don't build spreadsheets because they just enjoy spreadsheets. It's like I have uh, my manager or my CFO says, I need an answer to this problem. And there's no way to easily get that answer. So you you build a spreadsheet. And before you know it, you look back and your department has a thousand spreadsheets. Yeah. And you're like, why on earth did this happen? And the solutions that we're going to talk about today answer that question and allow companies to lower the cost of technology, to lower complexity, allows finance organizations to get what they want at speed in an industrial way versus just having to build something off the side of your desk. 
It's interesting, actually, Steve, because um, the other day I was talking to a friend of mine who's gone through a very similar story, actually, during COVID. And um, we were catching up and said, you know, Sabine, I actually ended up building a sales and marketing platform for, um, you know, an insurance company in life, actually, in the United States from the UK. And I thought this is very peculiar. And he said, yeah, because we were trying to get this customer to be far more customer centric. And we found that the opportunity to reinvent sales and marketing and, you know, probably creating widgets on top of uh, one of the leading platforms, uh, which is out there, um, was relevant and needed because that customer needed to, uh, this company needed to understand its customer better. They didn't have a clear insight of who they had in their uh, database, if I can say that, you know, age and um um, I mean, I would say age, but, you know, some of the, the criteria which is so important for providing and designing the right service and that the goal was to actually serve the customer better, to identify the things which were so relevant for them that they didn't really pay attention to, even though those clients had policies, right, and um, probably never knock on the door of this life insurer after buying that product. So tell us, why is this so important? So... When I think about someone creating a platform or a company, let's talk about the marketing angle of what you're creating and then your priorities as a, someone that runs a, a company that's, that's uh, getting started. When I think about building something, the thing that you're building, 80% of that thing is probably very common, meaning there's nothing unique in the marketplace for that thing. So you're going to build something that has a data store. You're going to have something that does reporting. You're going to have something that takes in data. You're going to have something that integrates with data somewhere else. And then you're going to have some something that calculates something that that's, describes most platforms. If you think about it, most of the tooling that you would use is commercially available. There are commercially available um, presentation layers that do reporting really well. There are commercially available integration layers, um, general purpose data stores. And the path that a lot of companies go down is they try to make something proprietary. And then by definition, they make it very hard to use and they make it expensive. And then let's pivot a minute to if you're a startup, you have two priorities as a CEO. One is to stay alive. And the second is be prepared for massive growth. When I think about the stay alive priority, companies spend a lot of money when they get started on things that aren't very interesting because of the model. Um, they have to build out an IT department and that IT department has to build all these generic components or you have to go out and buy them somewhere or get a SaaS solution. And that's A, expensive, and B, not very proprietary, meaning you're going to have to spend a lot of money to build something proprietary. Yeah, exactly. When it really is your unique idea is probably something that can sit in the middle of a lot of generic tooling. And if you could leverage tooling in a different way, the cost of build, the complexity of your thing goes down. So your ability to generate positive ARR um, is much higher at shorter periods of time. So that survival instinct 
um, is enabled by looking at technology in a different way. Point two, prepared for massive growth. So if you've built a bespoke solution, it's usually hard for that solution to scale. And then again, it comes back to, it's gonna take you time and money, both are precious resources in the marketplace to scale, which you may or may not have. Or um, you've outsourced it and your costs are gonna escalate because your outsourced provider charges uh, by the drink. And so thinking about technology and building it in a robust way that can work at very small scales of ones or dozens of people and can also operate at tens of thousands or even millions of people is super important. And the state of technology now with web-based assets and cloud-based assets, they can scale. And it's important to be thinking about what your future might look like, not just what your present might look like. So balancing those priorities of staying alive and being able to grow is super important. So do you think that, okay, how am I going to ask this question? Do you think that companies or so startups, technology startup, insurtechs, fintechs, wealth techs, right? Technology for industry. Do you, do you think that they need to build their own tech to be called insurtech of wealth tech? Because what you're saying is maybe they don't really. I don't think they do. And I think over time, they will need to do so less and less, meaning with a little bit of expertise now in today's marketplace, those Lego blocks that you need can be uh, built and available for you. And then your ability as a small organization to put those Lego blocks together in different ways um, can expand exponentially. So uh, in today's world, this is sort of like category creation. It's not bespoke tooling. It's not something you buy, it's not something you SaaS, it's something that you piece together with tooling that's built for you that can be expanded in multiple ways. Um, I don't know if that answered your question. Yes, it's interesting because I'm listening to what you are saying and the way, for instance, I, I mean, if, if you look at my social media business, for instance, um, there is people working there, but there is a lot of technology. The only way I can achieve, you know, 1 million views or all this stuff is I do have to optimize through technology, really understand keywords and all those things. There's a science behind that that people don't even realize, but that means a lot of technology. And I know this morning I will be using this and next minute I will be using that. So I have my desktop opened off tools, for sure I didn't build them. And now what you are saying to me, well, Sabine, it's probably time for you to understand the true customer engagement as to how you connect those things. And maybe you come and build my little connections around uh, all those tools. So then they actually pop up when they need to be. Am I right? You are. And old thinking is that every business problem has a unique tool or app. And right now we have this massive proliferation of apps and tools that don't talk to each other. Yeah. Um, I have a, an Apple Watch, a Tesla, a, what have you, and all of it's consuming information that would be super useful if that information could be uh, uh, working together, but now it's not. No, it's not. And so not only the data, but the technology needs to be rethought. And so when we're building these platforms, building or apps or what have you, building them in a way 
that they can work with other apps natively without doing anything special is super important, not only for you as an individual um, company owner, but the entire ecosystem, because we can unlock tremendous value. We can get a lot more than we're protecting. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's talk about EPAM. I mean, you are probably one of the best kept secret. I remember when Lisa introduced us, it's like, do you know EPAM? It's like, no. And you won't believe that since we met, I actually met a lot of your European colleagues as well. It's like, it were meant to be. <laughs> so tell us about EPAM. So EPAM's been doing engineering around platforms and tooling for a long time for 30 years. And we've gotten very, very, very good at it. And this next generation of EPAM is applying technology to solve business problems. And that's that's a, a different course for a company full of engineers. So in old thinking, when we all began, um, we asked the client, what do you want? And then we built it and we built it really well. Now we sit down with the client and we say, what are your business problems? And how can we think together um, of ways to solve those business problems? And technology and data are often central to that story. Um, I'll, I'll talk about two use cases. Okay. One, is, one is geo and one is an accounting use case. So pretty early on, we had um, a couple of geo providers as clients. And uh, for those that uh, don't know, uh, a lot of insurance carriers use uh, geospatial data for underwriting and claims and uh, to operate their business. And there are a lot of um, insure techs that operate in the geospatial space. And it's interesting when I sat down with these CEOs and heads of product, they said, oh, you're EPAM, I'd like you to do some engineering. And I said, let's, let's hold on, <laughs> let's talk about what your strategy is. And almost all of them built these fancy user interfaces, built all this reporting, built this um, mechanism to get their data into an insurance carrier. And what I asked these companies to do was reimagine what their product was. Because if I think, if I'm an insurance carrier, if I'm one of these companies' clients, I probably have a dozen or more geo providers. And the data I'm getting is largely uh, duplicative. So the geo provider has a little bit of unique data and a lot of pretty common data. And if I'm an insurance carrier, I'm importing a lot of data from all these different sources. I have to store it, manage it, reconcile it. And then I have to run my algorithms on it. All of that data movement is expensive. Um, it requires specialized skills, et cetera. And, um, and none of these carriers really need a fancy UI. They just need the information. And when you think about it, they don't even need the data. They need an answer for their algorithm. Meaning if I wanna know if there is a hail event and there's a big lot of cars that I insure, what the damage likely is. I just need an answer. There is a hail event. You, 80% of the cars are likely damaged and the damage is X. And then I can make choices about what I do with sending out adjusters and thinking about that. If you rethink this business model, what's being traded are algorithms and answers for algorithms. 
It's not a fancy UI. It's not the data. It's not APIs. It's a different way of looking at the business. And fundamentally, that's a strategy story, but it's also a technology story. And then go ahead. I, I was going to say, I can see that. I was going to um, share with you um, something I heard. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about accessing the outcome, right? We we want to know what to do. We want to know the alerts. We want to know what we, the responses we need to, to deliver to our customer. Because if there's a head event, right, it's likely that no one will think about calling their insurers right when it's happening. Uh, they are more trying to save the family, protect the, the, the asset. And so to be able to make these assertions, need the quality data and you need um, to rely on the data which is being provided to move into the algorithm so that you know the algorithm is providing the right answer, right? And yes, and part of this is resisting the instinct to move data or use a un unique application when you have a new business problem. Pause and, and imagine, is there another way to solve this problem? Which brings me to my second example. I was talking to a controller using some investment accounting software. I won't name the software, but it didn't do investment accounting for a lot of the assets. And so I asked this particular CFO or controller rather, um, does it bother you that your investment accounting system doesn't do investment accounting? And he said, uh, yeah. And, uh, and I said, have you used a lot of spreadsheets uh, to do accounting? He said, I've been doing that for years. And I said, what if we could actually bolt some technology on to your investment accounting system that did investment accounting for the types of assets that your package doesn't naturally do? And uh, he thought that was a marvelous idea. So those are the other types of projects we do at EPAM is we work with clients to make their data and technology work to solve both top line and bottom line problems to um, be able to unlock the value in tools that a company might already have. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because, you know, working in, you mentioned InsurTech, right, and insurers, being in the insurance technology world, you know, I find it fascinating to see the volume of startups coming uh, coming through. And, you know, when I look at the startups themselves, so there's probably around six, 7,000 InsurTechs, you know, called InsurTechs around the globe. Maybe, you know, 1,500 of them have raised over the year around 60, 64 billion, right? So they've raised a lot of money. And what I'm hearing is probably there is too much of these things, you know, those point solutions. And then I'm, I'm not even counting, right? Looking at sustainability, you mentioned geospatial. If you look at this geospatial bucket, it's not even sitting into insurance or insurance technology. Often they are coming into insurance because they realize the use cases is relevant for insurance. So, so we are not even counting how many ventures sitting in this block. But what is happening is we have all those point solutions, right? Well, I've talked to a lot of these CEOs and they have these brilliant ideas. And they struggle once they get to a certain size because of interoperability, because of the, it, their customers want what they have, but the cost of integration, the cost of consuming that with every other adjacent solution is too high. 
So my plea is to create interoperability from the get-go. Imagine your entire ecosystem. And a lot of the ideas I've had are brilliant and they would work amazingly better in an integrated ecosystem, both from a technology perspective and also the way that they're thinking about data. And it's really old thinking to, to imagine proprietary, to say, all of my technology must be proprietary. All of my data should be proprietary. It's the word all that bothers me. Some of your algorithm should be super proprietary. Some of your data should be super proprietary. The rest of it should be completely interoperable and integratable with the so entire ecosystem. How do we differentiate, Steve? I mean, when you think about it, right? Think about big tech. We believe that big tech differentiated through technology innovation. Think about some of the big players out there, let's say Caterpillar. They probably innovated through either market-led innovation or product-led innovation. So how do we differentiate today when we build the business models of the future? So there's always the instinct to jump right to the gray line. Let's not. When I've talked to physicist friends of mine, they mentioned boundary conditions. So let's talk about the boundary conditions of technology. At the boundary of technology is simple tech, boring tech. It's not AI, machine learning, any of that. It's a reporting engine, a data store, something that integrates. I'd have a hard time believing that those things are your secret sauce if you're a company. And if it were me, and I was thinking about integrating within an ecosystem, I would start with the boring stuff. Yeah, yeah, get it. So when you look at the, the business of insurance, the insurer, maybe the broker, you know, what they need, do they need to, to do to fundamentally change, evolve? Can I say transform maybe their uh, business models? Maybe it's not about disruption, it's about evolution, but what do they need to do to improve? So if I'm a large carrier, I likely have a very, very complex ecosystem full of good ideas that have aged past their good idea. And so I have likely have many, many spreadsheets. I have many applications, many admin systems. My finance ecosystem is probably a little messy. That's all fine. The old answer was, you've got to burn down your house to fix your leaky pipe. It was like, just do transformation, the entire thing. Think of the entire operating model. And if you're not thinking the entire operating model, you're not doing it right. Technology has evolved and our ways of thinking about transformation has evolved. And I mentioned pipes. I think in the old world, especially with life carriers, if I think uh, carriers, when I think about accounting change, they hired these architects that did these big things and they bought large pieces of software and modeling platforms and they installed them and there were these massive projects fast forward to march and if you're a life carrier doing a new kind of accounting for the first time i think you're going to need plumbers i don't think you're going to need to burn down your house if you run into a data problem or you need to have something more controlled i also think it's not a good idea to keep building spreadsheets yeah for carriers, I think this idea of targeted solutions using this new way of thinking about technology to solve 
practical problems. And maybe your problem is, I just have a pile of spreadsheets that are becoming unwieldy. We can build industrial tooling to solve those target, targeted problems at very low cost and very quickly. If you like the result, well, then you have the Lego blocks. You can apply those Lego blocks to other business problems. And before you know it, you've transformed your enterprise, but you, you didn't have to go to the board of directors and ask for a very large check. You can save money and increase business utility in real time. So the new way that we think about business transformation is targeted and engineering centric and fixing the technology that's supposed to work for you. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, there are some fundamental, you know, uh, concepts you're highlighting there, which probably is at odd with the way, you know, the business of insurance is being built today, which is a, a business which need, which has lived for 340, 40 years now. And so, you know, going through some of the concepts you are mentioning is probably a bit alien for some of those players out there. So can you tell us and or, or give us an example? You actually already share an example of a client who actually went through that Nirvana moment. Um, can you share an example of what that also means when you look at it from the insurance technology and venture viewpoint? How do we collide the two together? So again, I'm going to compare and contrast a large carrier and an insure tech uh, company. So if you're a large carrier, we've had a lot of success with our clients by starting small. By saying, look, you're going to need to prove out this business value. So as an individual, you might be sitting in an organization and say, yep, I've got it. I want to do this. Um, my experience with large carriers is that change management takes a lot of time. Actually showing that something works is super important. And the ability to start small and generate a tangible real result is super important in that business case. And then you can land and expand and uh use this technology to solve some of your bigger or more fundamental problems, but starting practically is a smart idea. If you're an insured tech, my plea to you is create technology that is scalable and create data and technology that is highly interoperable. And that's super important, but also super hard if you're sitting alone and you have a, a small group of technologists that, that are really good at what they do, but might not be the best at doing everything. Um, that's the dilemma of a uh, insure tech is you have to do everything with limited resources. So what corners do you cut? And what I'm suggesting is a transformation where you cut fewer corners. So would that be best then, you know, when you look at the insurer ecosystem and what they are trying to achieve and then the insure tech, and I'm, I'm just talking about the point solutions, right? The, the solution who are solving for problems into the insurance operating model, should they go direct or should they actually go through maybe working with an organization like yours to actually maybe have the, all the widget connected into an environment which then can be transported into the insurer operating model? I think it's super important to begin with an expert. And um, EPAM is expert at this. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to have the expert around forever. 
Now, again, comparing and contrasting, if I buy a software or a SaaS solution, I've got to keep paying for that every single year, no matter what. What we're suggesting is um, let us teach you. Let us show you some reusable assets. Let's configure them for your environment, your set of Lego blocks. Some of those might be highly interoperable and common. Some of those might be unique to your ecosystem. But the idea is it's easier to start with an expert and it's a lot cheaper than trial and error. It's taken EPAM 30 years to be the powerhouse that it is. I don't think if you're an insure tech that you have 30 years to develop your engineering prowess. I don't think the goal, I mean, the investors would be very disappointed if that startup did an IPO or got acquired by <laughs> a much bigger organization at some point, right? So it's definitely not the the usual path um, for uh, for an insure tech or startup. But some, you know, become mammoth organizations like the like of Google, Uber, or Amazon, which had to start at some point by being mm -hmm. a, a tech venture or a, a smaller organization. So, Steve, tell us, what is a day in the life of yours? So I know that you're working with insurtechs and helping them transform their business as much as big enterprises, right? Helping them improve their digital and physical footprint. What does that mean? I would divide my day into three parts. So the first is I'm talking with clients about uh, their problems and opportunities. It's one of my favorite parts of my day. And that's some insure techs and those are large carriers. And um, it's super interesting no matter who you are. The second part of my day is um, working, running these uh, projects to actually solve problems. And it's super interesting because we get to invent new ways of doing business and new technology. And uh, the third part of my day is working with strategy professionals, consultants, engineers at EPAM to reimagine the way we do engineering, to reimagine the way we do transformation. And uh, it has its challenges, but it has its joys. And I would say that the joys outweigh the challenges 10 to 1. That's wonderful. That's super cool. So if you are actually um, to help a business develop the right structure, what would be your recommendations to them? Give me a call. Send me an email. Let's just have a discussion. There's, It's free. A discussion is free. I think hiring an expert is super important. Talking to an expert is also important. And I love to exchange ideas. And maybe we can do something even more awesome than what you're doing now together. And what about our tires and young ventures? You know, what could they do better to build the business models of tomorrow? Again, it's consulting the expert to to get the ability to um, come up with a brilliant idea, to get your first group of uh, customers and stakeholders to raise money means that you're an amazing individual. But really having experts in your ecosystem is super important. And this is my bias. I think renting technology, especially the boring tech in the beginning, is super important because the your money and time is precious. Yeah. So uh, spending an enormous amount of money early on for things that are not super interesting for your business model, 
may not be the best way to think about your technology organization. Mm, yeah. So if people wanted to uh, find you, where do they go? They can find me on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I think uh, I have an email address, Stephen underscore Abel at epam.com. And you can check out epam.com. It's a super interesting company and it is the best kept secret. Yeah. So if there were, you know, piece of research that we should actually go and check on the EPAM website, because I've also played with the, the site and looked for some of the work you guys are doing. You know, we've done some work recently at TC Vegas on a commercial sustainability and sustainability is going to explode next year. So here, you know, is a topic I know, which is very important for you guys at EPAM. But what are the other things we could think about? So if you check out the website, there's an enormous amount of material on that you may be interested in. I have a hypothesis that over the next several months, there might even be more material that's relevant to you and your business needs. And again, if you don't want to take the time to comb through a lot of white papers or points of view, uh, sometimes the conversation's more efficient. Yeah, and I'm old. I am old school that way. <laughs> I know you've told me, <laughs> but it's nice. It's nice to be able to catch up as well and actually dive into some of these issues we hear often from uh, the startup ecosystem. In my case, you know, I was with Lisa the other day, and uh, Lisa Wardlow, and she used a very interesting concept which you use as well, which is a data, you know, and and sieving through different blocks of data and then trying to put them back together to build the Lego house. And I think it's potentially what we are trying to do. And each of those Lego houses have different colors, have different shapes. And so this is the nirvana we are trying to achieve today, I think, right? I agree. We're all building the future together and it's super exciting. Thank you, Steve, for joining me today. Thank you, Sabine. If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends, and if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Sabine VDL Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine Van der Linden. Thank you.